four, three, two, one, let's go. This is the Pick 4 Podcast. You've found us again. Um, we are brought to you by Let Me Know Productions, and, and we are now a member of the National Podcast Association. You can always go to pick4podcast.com. You can find uh, the show catalog. You can find our routine guest list. You can email the show. You can find our social media outlets. Everything you need is there. Today, I have, if you'll remember, I, I've had my friend Jeremy Daniel on. Uh, I've known him his entire life, and now I will have a guest on that has known me my entire life. Uh, this is Jeremy's dad. His name is Dave Daniel, and he has been uh, involved in media and journalism for how long would you say? 47 and a half years. That I would say you are thoroughly involved. <laughs> uh, most of that was at the KJ. Lubbock AJ? Lubbock AJ. All but the entirety? All but, all but two and a half of that. Well, there you go. Um what we're going to talk about today is media and journalism as it exists today and sort of the differences between today and when you got started 45 plus years ago. I made a whole bunch of notes and I already told you like if it comes up I'll I'll mention them. If it doesn't, I'm not worried about it cuz it's all just sort of general things about journalism that I found on the internet. So <laughs> whether, whether they apply to what, what our conversation steers towards or not is yet to be seen. Okay, so have you picked your four items that you want to talk about? Yes. All right, give me your first one. First one is the role of the mainstream media. What's their job? Okay. The second one is how, do, how are things done way back when I first started? Okay. Look at my memory here. Uh, how has it changed okay. since my first beginnings? And then the last one would be how social media has influenced media today. Okay. Let's jump into the first one then. How would you say then, What what? how do you define what their role is? Okay. The, the main role of the media, or the mainstream media, is... Uh, you're a government watchdog. Okay. That's the main thing. We're, we're to police the government. And that's actually one of the points I had uh, that I found, um, that there's some – you're an independent monitor of power right. is, is what I ended up with. Right. Um, the management and execution of that power, whether it's government or even big business or now – especially big tech, right. uh, becomes transparent and uh, y you have to sort of keep in mind how those affects uh, the people that you're reporting to, both good and bad. Right. Would you say that the, uh, the mainstream media's role has differed any? I know we'll talk about how it's changed here in a few minutes, but... I think the basic tenant has really not changed i don't think you know it's still there you know as far as in, in addition to policing the government or watch as a government watchdog it's also the me main media's job to inform the public and educate the public about what's going on okay um do you think okay. um is there anything else you want to add on that portion not really no okay Let's move on to the second point then. Okay. 
how things were done in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I started in 1970, and back then it was all paper. You know, there's no basically electronic anything. Yeah. Really. And uh, it was like what we called hot type. We set type and stuff. Mm-hmm. I started out in sports, worked in sports for five years uh, at the AJ. Went to Odessa for two years, worked in sports there. Went to San Antonio Express News for six months. Hated it. Had a chance to come back to Lubbock and took it and got into news at that point. Did you? Was the problem at San Antonio, was it because it was a bigger entity? That was a part of it. It was the fact I was having to drive like 15 miles one way each day to work, and we only had one car at yeah. the time, and Jeremy was a baby, and... Uh, and I just really never fit in with the rest of the staff. Just, I mean, they were nice enough to me, but just didn't quite fit. And I had come up here to, uh, actually for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary and went up to the AJ to talk to everybody's old friends. Mm -hmm. Randy Sanders, uh, then said, you want a job? (laughs) (laughs) well, I hadn't really thought about it, but but since sure. you asked, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> um, so when you came back, was did you want to go to the news department, or was it just out of necessity then at that point? It was more out of necessity, I guess. I hadn't really planned on leaving sports. I'd planned on being sports all my life, but uh, it there was a chance to work with because I'd worked with Randy before. What was at the AJ before, mm-hmm. so it was a chance to work with him again and with Burl Pettit. Okay. Um, so uh, I became a copy editor and went from there to being the chief copy editor. And what is the role of copy editor? A copy editor, we take stories written after the reporter writes a story. We check it for everything, spelling, grammar, facts, whatever. Uh, write the headlines. We design the pages, decide what story's going where, that kind of thing. And then, well, that's part of the copy editor is just editing the copy and writing the headlines. As chief copy editor, it was my job to decide, okay, well, if this story goes here, this story goes there, this goes on this page. The, the actual format as it goes on the right. paper. And then uh, Randy was the news editor at the time, and he left to go work for Kent Hans as his press secretary. Okay. And I became the news editor and held that position until the afternoon paper. That was for the afternoon paper that the AJ used to have. And yeah, that was a while ago. Well, that was a while ago, but it was like 80, early 80s. I can't remember. Now, is that more engineered towards, I want reporter X to go cover story Y? Like you're you're sort of deciding on no, what that, needs to get that that did uh, did affect me. Now that that was done what we call the city editor. He the city editor would assign stories to the different reporters. Okay. We took its story after it was written. Okay. And so, you know, we might of course I might suggest, hey, I heard about this, go check it out. You know, that type of thing. But for the most part, it was from the city editor or the managing editor that would decide. We need to go cover this or that. Did you have to, like, verify quotes? Uh, it would depend. Mostly that was done by the city editor. Basically the way it worked is the reporter would go out and 
cover story, you know, do, do all of his legwork as far as, you know, interviewing people and getting whatever facts were there and things like that. Uh, and he would bring it in, write up the story, turn it into the city editor. He would check, he would read it first. Mm-hmm. And then he would hand it to the copy desk. Uh, and then the copy desk would take it from there, get it ready for pub- ready for publication and that kind of a thing. Now, if it was a situation where it was something controversial or, you know, kind of, yeah, I'm not so sure about this type of thing, then maybe the higher-up editors, like the managing editor, even the editor, would look at it to make okay. sure this it fit all the parameters and something we really wanted to do or not do. And what could happen, doesn't happen a lot, but it did happen. Some. Yeah. So... uh Every story, and I think that's probably a big difference in the way things are done now. Is but back in the day, in fact, the whole time I worked uh, in the news part, every story was read at least three times before it went into the paper. You, do you feel like that's still the standard? No, <laughs> you can obviously tell if you, if anybody's read the AJ and or any paper, actually, but mostly the AJ because I'm more associated with it. You know, I see mistakes all the time, almost every story, every day, mm-hmm. that nobody's proofreading these stories. Now, in the old days, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal was its own entity, right? Right. Well, we were owned by a, pl- a family called the Wittenbergs out of Amarillo. We were owned by, they owned us, and they owned the Amarillo paper. Okay. So we've always been connected with Amarillo Globe News. Then in the about 72, 73, I think, the Morris Communications Company came in and bought it and made some changes, uh, some good, not so good. <laughs> uh, and then they held it until the fall or the spring of 17, I believe it was. Oh, okay. 2017, at which time it was taken over by Gatehouse Media. And uh, are they? I feel like they're San Antonio based, or no? They're New York based. Oh, okay. They are. They own a very. They're a very large. Right now, they're one of the largest, if not the largest, media company in the nation. Uh, So Gatehouse Media bought us, and then that's when the hammer came down on me. Yeah. Gatehouse Media has since merged with Gannett. Basically, they bought Gannett, and Gannett is the name of the company now, which also owns USA Today. Okay. Um, do you have any idea what percentage of print media that that particular company owns now? I don't really know for sure, but it's a lot. It's, okay. it's, it's more than just a handful. They own, uh, own the a- Lubbock AJ. They own Amarillo Globe News. They own the Austin American Statesman. They own uh, some small papers in the Dallas and the Metroplex. Uh, and also just all over the country, basically. At what point do you th- did, could you see the, the, the reduction of print news coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the paper was getting smaller and smaller all the time, and it was... That when was when did that start? When did you notice it? Probably, I'm guessing probably around the, maybe in the mid-90s or so. 
if not earlier, because uh, for the most part, print, uh, newsprint is very expensive. Yeah. And so they were cutting down, trying to save money because the cost for the paper itself is outrageous. Do you think that time frame directly corresponds with the, the blossom of the Internet? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I just think the pop. I think the popularity of the internet had more to do with that than uh, the uh, print media kind of taking a back seat. Is can you be a a, a career oriented print journalist anymore, or does it is it almost you exclusively meet a digital? You can, like most papers, like the AJ especially, they have both an online and a print product, mm -hmm. and, as most papers do. Now, there's some papers, some bigger papers, uh, went under uh, back in the 90s, uh, like the New Orleans Times-Picayune. It went straight digital at, at one point. I don't remember exactly what year, but it went straight digital. They were pretty substantial. Yeah, and they were a bit, big paper. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them kind of saw the handwriting, handwriting on the wall before others and said, well, we're just going to cut our losses on the print part and just go straight digital online and stuff. And there are several that do that now. So being a career print journalist, it's out there. It's just not as much as there used to be. It's probably like this just to cancel my part, but I would guess that it's more – you're much more in charge of the content you decide to to put out. Maybe much more freelance oriented than right than uh, associated with an actual news entity. Right, right. And I think that's part of the problem. Do you think there needs to be more association with the news sources? Then, uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's part of the problem with the social media today is that basically anybody can put anything out there. Yeah. And there's nobody to check it before it gets on. Uh, there's no accountability there. per se. Right. Now there is. I'm sure there is some accountability, but not as much as there should be, because people can just throw something out there and oh yeah, well by golly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you get back to the freedom of the press issue and the right to free speech type thing, and so it, <laughs> that's kind of a. Uh, Lines start getting blurred, and yeah, yeah, right. Let me think of what else I had. Uh, do you? What would you say the reduction as a percentage was from the the early nineties there to now, as far as the number of staff that oh, the AJ operates? Well, it's quite a bit. Uh, when I was news editor back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, we probably had, you know, total reporters, photographers, editors, whatnot, around, you know, 50 people. Now there's probably less than a dozen. Is a lot, any of the work outsourced or? It depends. Uh, with, in the past, uh, we didn't just, we would not normally solicit people to write for us unless it was as a columnist or things like that. We would occasionally hire freelancers for things, but 
as as a general rule, no. But it was all done with whatever staff we had. Yeah. Was there uh, a, a standardized set of rules for print journalists? Is there sort of a code of conduct? Uh, yeah, I heard. Or it's kind of uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Post with uh, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks about it's about the Pentagon. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but no, I have not. It's no. about the Pentagon Papers. There's a scene in there toward the end of the movie where Catherine Graham, who's played by Meryl Streep, is talking to Tom Hanks, who played Ben Bradley, the editor mm-hmm. of the Washington Post. And she said she remembered one thing from her father, who had owned the Post before her, that journalism is the or the newspapers are the first draft of history. Oh, yeah. I, I like that. I would not disagree with that. Yeah. And then another one is uh, I remember hearing Scott Pelley, you, you know, with CBS, 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. He worked at the AJ. Oh, really? Uh, yes, as a, as a high school student. As a youngster? As a youngster, <laughs> yeah. Not about his age to get a job. <laughs> uh, but he was basically what you call a copy boy. He just basically did all kind of grunt work, mm-hmm. you know, at the paper, you know, did this errand and that errand and things like that. And I heard him give a speech to, I remember if it was like a newspaper convention or if it was like a journalism class or something, but he said, it's important to get it first, but it's even more important to get it right. Well, that was a point that I'm sure was going to come up at some point with the social media stuff is the correctness falls now sort of secondary to being first. Right. If you can, if you can get it out first, right. If it was a contest, you'd be you'd be the winner. Yeah, and and I understand that there is a level of competition about it, but right. uh, yeah, sometimes the truth and the facts yeah. fall secondary to just yeah. Well, and another getting the headline out first. Another example is when uh, Reagan was shot, and I was watching the, the TV news on ABC and Frank Frank McGee. There a, a report came in that uh, Jim Bradley, Jim Brady, Jim Brady, I mean, Jim Brady had been killed. Mm-hmm. Turned out he wasn't, and McGee just flew off the handle about let's get this right. And he's, I mean, he just on air, on air. Wow, you know, let's be sure we're right about this. Yeah, yeah, that was that was what eighty eighty one. Yeah, I believe so. I think it was forty years ago yesterday. Oh wow. On the money, then. Um, Just diddling around on the internet earlier because I just wanted to sound like I might be somewhat (laughs) smart and have something to contribute today. Um, I stumbled across an internet site that's called Mm AmericanPressInstitute.org. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. I've heard it. Um, And I found really a lot of good stuff in there. They uh, defined... I guess the press or journalism and media is the activity of gathering, assessing, and creating uh, and presenting news and information and the product of those activities. And journalism is indispensable to a democratic society. History reveals that the more democratic a society, the more news and info it tends to have. Um, Have you then, as as a, a journalist, do you think that 
say, in the last 20 years, but more specifically probably in the last 10, do you think that there's been a reduction in the A, amount of material that's really sourced out, and, and B, the, the accuracy of it? Yes, very much so. I think now you're on the you're in danger of having too much personal opinion mm-hmm. into a piece, which in the old days never did. You never put personal opinion into a story, ever, unless you were writing an editorial or a column. There's and those, those guys were few and far between. They were paid specifically for those things, right? Right. Yeah. right. But as a, like a basic news reporter, you didn't, you never put your personal opinion into a story ever. Since we've mentioned that now, um, I have a, it's a list here, and the list came from, I found it through the American Press Institute. They mention a book that's called The Elements of Journalism by Bill Kovach or Kovac wow. and t- uh, Tom Rosensteel. And it's a, it's a list of 10 items that I guess they have identified as a, a loose code to mm-hmm. operate as a journalist. Um, the first one they list is journalism's first obligation is to the truth. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. Um, and not necessarily the truth in the absolute sense, but truth by which we can operate on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, number two would be loyalty to the citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, you must put public interest above their own your own self-interest as a journalist right. and providing journalism without fear or favor. Right. That part of that is you have to know your audience. I think, yeah, that's funny. I think they, they mentioned that down the list here, but knowing who your readers are. Right. That is very key. Yeah. Because something you would write, say, in New York City, wouldn't fly in Lubbock. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It just wouldn't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, the third one was... Its essence is a discipline of verification, uh, meaning that there is no standardized code and neutrality is not a core principle because journalists, even in their effort to be neutral, you still have to make some decisions. Right. Uh, The method is what is objective, meaning you interview multiple witnesses, disclose as much as possible about your sources and and asking each side for their statement. Exactly. That's... That can become a sticky wicket because, and I know this many times over my career, where we didn't have, it always required two sources mm-hmm. for every story, two sources. And if we couldn't get that second source, we didn't go with it. So verification was, was key, and especially if it was a controversial subject or a he said, she said type of a thing we had to be sure that we had at least one person from each side telling okay. the side of the story. And if we didn't, didn't write it. Do you think that's gone out the window as well? Not out the window, but it's not lessened. Strict. Yeah, it's lessened. Um, number four, uh, practitioners must be independent from those they cover, mm-hmm. uh, avoiding seduction by sources, intimidation by power. Um, and allowing compromise by your own self-interest. Right. 
you, it's very key, especially if you're what's called a beat reporter. Now, a beat reporter is someone who, like, covers City Hall. That's their main job is covering City Hall. Okay. Or the police or the courts or whatever. You have to build a trustful relationship with those people. You know, you got to be – you can't be – you don't have to be, like, buddy-buddy with the mayor. But he has to re- you have to earn his, get his respect. Yeah, a, much, a mutual level of respect. Right, yeah. and that is so key to everything, basically, because you could get into a story and you know I've got all the facts, I've got it, you know I've got it down. We're going to do this, blah 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 blah. But if you can't get the pers- people who are involved on board to give you the information. You're screwed. Did you ever have an instance of that? I have heard of it. Now, I didn't actually do any reporting myself other than sports writing. But there were, I know there were times where we knew this was happening, but we just couldn't get anybody to say it. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that, um, I, I know things are infinitely different now than they were 40 years ago. But do you think that the internet specifically breeds a faction of following to individuals, to ideas, from a journalistic perspective? Oh, I think so. I think there's that out. That's, that is out there, I think. Yeah. I, I don't, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, the fifth one. Serve as an independent monitor for power. We we discussed that right. about being transparent as right. far as how government and business operates. Right. Uh, the sixth one, provide forum for public criticism and compromise. Uh, the use of public spectrum by broadcasters, development and management of internet, copyright law, libel, whistleblower laws and protections, and what it all boils down to is First, first Amendment protections. Right. That is that is key. You know, it's the First Amendment. It's know. first for a reason. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. It's my favorite amendment. <laughs> um, it's assumed that this uh, supplies a steady stream of quality content for citizens and government to make better decisions. I think that I think that's true. Would you say that that's declined in in the course of your career? I think it has gone back and forth over the years but especially lately uh with with trump especially with his fake news stuff uh, i think a lot of it depends on like the trust thing we were just talking about that you have between government and the media mm-hmm. uh how much do you trust them how much do you do you not trust them so i can think that a lot of that goes in it. It kind of goes back and forth, and some do, some periods of time it's better than others. That type of that's, thing. Do, you, do you think that's strictly from the presidential aspect? Do you think that's purely based on personality? I think a lot of it is. Yeah, a lot of it is. Uh, journalism sub- should represent varied viewpoints uh, to place in context, rather than conflicting on the fringes of the debate i.e. you're presenting points of common ground where problems can be solved rather than just the, the raw differences. Right. Right. We're trying you try to put out there as much of the information as you possibly can and let the reader decide. 
The seventh uh, point, strive to keep significant, interesting, and relevant. This I found this quote, and I thought it was <laughs> pretty interesting and, and accurate that uh, R.P. Clark and Chip Scanlon uh, came up with this in their, their own, I think it was a book. Uh, they described news writing as the intersection of civic clarity and literary grace. Um, civic clarity meaning info for citizens and their their need to operate on a day-to-day basis and the literary grace being basically the reporter's storytelling skills. Right. I think that's that's an a, a important part of that, being able to write what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and some can do it, some can't. Uh, Burl Pettit, I'll make an example of him. The guy can write like crazy. I mean, he... If is he, he still doing it? Uh, not as so much. He's written a, a book about his growing up, which is a great read. Uh, What's it called? Do you remember? I've got it, but I can't remember the name of it. So like a, I'll find it and include it in the, <laughs> in the post that will go with this. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really good read. Burl can write. I remember he would write. He used to write a Sunday column every other week for the AJ. Basically, just reminiscing about things, you know. And uh, I remember Terry Greenberg, the former editor of the paper after Randy Sanders, uh, Burl would send his column in to me, and I would check it first, and I'd take it over to Terry for him to read. And I remember one day he, I took it into him, he said, Turn and read it, and he said, Boy, this guy can write. <laughs> <laughs> Just matter of factly, <laughs> yeah. And some better than others, you know. Uh, I had, uh, I won't mention the reporter's name, but she had, she was an older lady, and just had a tendency to just ramble and ramble and ramble. And so I had a brand new copy of her one time, and I thought, well, I'm just going to give this rookie see what he can do. Mm-hmm. So I handed him her story. And he sat there, and he sat there, and he sat there, and didn't make look like he was making any progress at all. And I said, "How's it going over there?" He said, "Can I ask a question?" And I said, "Sure." I said, "What's the story about?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a lot of that. And, you know, we've had some great storytellers as far as over the years at the AJ, like I said, Burl. Uh, another one people might remember was a guy named Tanner Lane, who did a lot of human interest type stories and stuff like that. Who could, he was just a hoot to be around. Yeah. Uh, Ray Westbrook, Ray Westbrook was, was like that as well. He was able to uh, write a story about human life basically and make it really personal without getting too complicated about it yeah so there have been there have been several like that and that's probably the difference between being a beat writer and really being a professional editorial columnist yeah 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 of course now uh, tanner and and ray were not uh, columnists by any means but uh they would more what we call like feature stories human interest type stories things mm-hmm. like that whereas the guy who's covering the police beat and reporting on crimes and stuff like that 
it's just murder, bam, 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 matter of fact, yeah. this happened, this happened, this happened, and uh, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to expand on your <laughs> not a lot of nuance in there you're right not a lot. you just got just like like jack webb you're saying dragnet just the facts man yeah yeah um uh, point number eight is uh keep news comprehensive and proportional as we've probably just discussed there um they describe it like news as a map and its value depends on a completeness and proportionality in which the significant is given greater visibility than than the trivial, mm-hmm. and most comprehensive maps include all effective community affected communities, not just those with the attractive demographics. Right. Uh, point number nine: Practitioners must be allowed to exercise personal conscience, following moral compass within their story as well as the organization. Yeah. And they they pointed out a couple of instances where uh, reporters in the newsroom would basically stand up and, and tell editors, look, we, you know, A, we can't do this, or B, if we do this, we have to include this or that. Or oh, yeah. That's happened a lot, a lot, you know, where, because the reporter, he's closer to it, you know, than anybody else. So he knows he's there. He's he's talking with the mayor. He's talking to the city council, stuff like that. He said, you know, he'd say, and he'll explain why. I said, well, we can do this, but this is coming up, so we can't jeopardize that yeah so we need to hold off on it so that kind of give and take would happen feelings ever get hurt uh as far as the reporters or as far as the well uh, yeah relationships in the newsroom i guess not really i don't think i'm sure plenty of sources yeah got burned but oh yeah sure always i mean it just it's just the nature of the beast yeah uh but I, maybe a few times a reporter will say, yeah, I got this story, and they'd say, no, you don't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sure it happens sometimes, but I won't think it happened a lot. Um, point number 10, citizens have rights and responsibilities in news, meaning uh, all the ways they engage now. So blogs, uh, social media, even if it's just liking a post or sharing a post or uh, and podcasts, strangely, are a part of that, and sh- they're shorthand versions of the journalist journalistic process. Right. That's we would tell people. People would call in or, or write in, saying, you know, I object to this story, and blah 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 blah. I, I want to write something for you. Nope. Sorry. Pass. Go yeah, go start your own paper. Yeah. Or <laughs> write a letter to the editor. Yeah. And we had certain rules about letters to the editor that. You know, we didn't allow getting personal. <laughs> yeah. Things like that. So we'd tell them, you know, write a letter to the editor. If we think it's legit, we'll run it. But we're not going to allow you to use our paper to put for your own soapbox. Yeah. Uh, we had a guy who was running for office here not too long ago who demanded that we run a column. From him, for him on the editorial page, like an op-ed piece, mm-hmm. and we said, nope, "You're running for office, can't do it." So yeah, that's it. pretty frowned upon, like oh, yeah. across the board, right? Right. Yeah. So, and we did that a lot with people that we had several people who would write, we would contact to write columns for us or op-ed pieces, and as long as they're in office, that's fine because they're speaking as a government official. Yeah. But if they're a candidate, that's different. 
They're still John Q. Public at that point. Still John Q. Public, and they're trying to enhance their campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not our job. So you're telling me he was welcome to buy an ad? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even do that. (laughs) Just uh, go about your business there. Yeah, we just said as long as you're a candidate, you can't write anything for us. If you're elected, come ahead. Yeah. Um, back during the reporting days, did you, uh, were there, you always hear things like, you know, get the, the who, the what, who, what, where, why, and how five W's and H it's pretty, is that universal? Pretty much. I mean, especially anybody that now nowadays I had been in the classroom a long time. <laughs> so, uh, whether that's taught now, I really don't know, but that was, that's the basic standard of journalism. Do you I, think you could teach a journalism class? Not now, no. <laughs> out of desire or just how circumstances have changed just how things have changed basically just it's just a different animal i had i have lectured at uh tech places a few times over the years and uh they would you know just kind of just tell them yeah you can do this no you can't do it, or you shouldn't do this yeah that type of thing and it went well I guess I, I didn't hear didn't hear any complaints. So <laughs> <laughs> nobody uninvited you after that. No, no. I, I, <laughs> okay, you want to tell us then how you think social media has greatly affected uh, how news like, is is turned over now. I think, like we said before, it, it's mainly because it's unchecked. It's unchecked. It's not verified. That's the that's the problem. Is not everything is verified, and that is so important. Do you think, I'm speaking from someone who uses Twitter as my main, really my main news gathering outlet anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, all of those reporters run their own individual accounts. Right. Even though they might be associated with a particular news outlet. Um, do you know if information that the journalists are putting out in social media form, how much that's fact checked before that happens? I believe it is. Uh, I can't speak for every, uh, online news outlet, but I know at the AJ it goes through an online editor before it's posted. Okay. In fact, I think for the most part, I'm not, I might be wrong about this, but well, think- now are we talking about stories or are we talking about tweets in relate to st- in relations to stories? Kind of both. Okay. Kind of both, really. Uh, I think that the reporters are kind of giving instructions on what they can and can't do. And they're told, us, yeah, you, you really shouldn't comment on this. You know, just let, let the comments fall where they may, but don't react to them. And in a way, that could help you because then you find out what people are thinking. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, as far as I know, nothing that, like, LubbockOnline.com, nothing goes on there without somebody checking it first. At the time, uh, it was basically impossible for a reporter to post something online themselves another editor had to do it for them. Okay. 
As a story? As a story. Okay, okay. What changes then do you think that, do you think it's the social media platform's obligation to somewhat regulate about what journalists are, are, are relaying? Or is that, do you still feel it's sort of exclusive to the individual and the news outlet? I think, yeah, there needs to be some accountability. Somebody somebody has to ride herd over that. Uh, you know, you just get so much stuff out there these days that just comes out of left field that has no basis, and it's just somebody's wild hair or opinion, and it gets everybody stirred up, either intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh so, yeah, some, somebody needs to be held accountable somewhere along the line. Do you think that – do you – okay, would you agree or disagree about President Trump's removal from a handful of those platforms? I think he overdid it, uh, especially on, like, his Facebook posts and Twitter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just cringed every time he did that. Almost, I can see him using it some, but to the extent he did, it was way out of line. Way out of line. Being a, a professional journal, journalist, did you ever really take offense to some of the things he accused media outlets of? Yeah, like the fake news stuff. You know, it's like if it didn't suit him or painted him in a bad light, it, it just automatically was fake news. Where as it might have some merit to it. Yeah. You know, and he would just automatically just it's it's all fake, and and the problem then becomes that the the people that really follow and admire him then uh, that's those two words I think undo a lot of hard work and a lot of good, right? And it just gets dismissed, right? Because once once he says it, yeah, nobody nobody in his camp anyway, is really paying much attention to anything after exactly. that. Exactly. Whether there's substantial substantial truth to what they're saying or not. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Did you did you look at who Jamal Khashoggi was? Yes. Okay. I know who he is. Tell me what you think of state sponsored uh imprisonment, assault, or even in his case, murder of journalists. Okay, got it. You have to look at it as to where they are. Okay, that's the that's the key. Where are where where is all this happening? He had you had a guy Khashoggi, who had been in the royal family in Saudi Arabia, who'd been a, a close advisor. Yes, and all of a sudden he started writing stuff critical of the family, and the next thing you know, it's. <laughs> There's some speculation that uh, even during his time as the advisor to the royal family that he may have been involved uh, in the CIA. Well, that That's speculation, but I, right. I say that to get to a point. Do you think that maybe he took the, the, the initiative to start writing critical things about the, the royal family and the Saudi government? Do you think that maybe those two things go hand in hand? So once he's maybe there's some information that's leaked that he might be in the CIA or, or at least communicating with them. Yeah. I think it sets a terrible precedent. Like, I, I, 
I'm never going to say he deserved what he got, but yeah, he put right. himself in the situation to really right. be have the right. target on and, his back. And, and he said he feared for his life. Well, that's why he left, yeah. yeah. Uh, whether he was involved in any capacity with the CIA, you'll never know. No. Because nobody's going to be talking about that. Well, and the same reason that uh, Mohammed bin Salam is never going to be held fully responsible for whether he did or didn't say when you find this guy in Turkey, uh, you need to take care of it. Right. Because nobody's going to crack now. Right. right. And, but all the evidence points, yeah, that's probably what happened. You know, you know, like in, say, like in Russia too, you know, Putin, you know, the, the media is owned and controlled by the government. Yeah. It's not a free press like we have here today. And it's just a different animal. Well, you you can say some stuff, but <laughs> right, <laughs> more than likely you're going to end up in prison somewhere or right. poisoned. Right, is what's happened right. to a lot of those guys. So putting uh, journalists in jeopardy, whether through jail or physical harm or even death, that's just appalling. You know, it's just appalling. I, I know it happens, but you have to understand where this is all coming from, that these are all powerful governments, that you cross them, by God, you're going to pay for it. All the more reason to ensure the freedom of the press and speech uh, here. Exactly. And I think that the crackdown needs to, needs to happen more in a more effective manner when we start to get dismissive Exactly. Of news outlets. Exactly. Um, I think it just it, it asks for trouble in the long run. It, definitely. That's that's one of my biggest fears is that if the media goes away, so goes market democracy will go away with it. Yeah. It, yeah. The pretty uh, the history shows that those two things typically go hand in hand. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. Because you got to have somebody's got to be watching the story. Yep. You got anything else you want to add? Uh, well, that's another example of uh, that's come up here fairly recently. I don't know if you've read it uh, about this uh, sports columnist for USA Today who wrote the piece about oh Roberts University. I saw a headline, but I didn't read it. Basically, it was a female, and she said because they are a Christian-based entity, they have no business being out in the public. <laughs> basically, that's basically what she said. From okay, from a, a sports perspective, yes, she was upset because they are in the NCAA tournament, and they should not have been because they are a Christian entity. So Abilene Christian, exactly. Is that not the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> It's obvious from her name. You could tell that she's probably a Muslim just from her name because she's got the the, the Muslim type name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it just to read the thing is just oh my gosh, you know, it's like if you're Christian and because kind of, she also cited their uh, the uh, LGBTQ mm-hmm. community said you know their their stand against that should disqualify them from from performing in a public arena. Well, 
that type of thing. Okay, not that I agree with that, but they're I'm pretty sure that's a private university, right? Yes. So you get to make the rules. Right. Well, exactly. I, I think it's dumb, but also exactly. those are the rules. So. Right. <laughs> but I just read that. Somebody had, I had noticed it, but somebody, a friend of mine had uh, clued me into it, and I read it, and now I thought, man, Burl Pettit would never let this fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now I'll find it when this, we're done for this, sure. This person, Burl, would have fired that person on the spot. I thought when I heard the – the headline I thought it more had to do with Oral Roberts, the person, rather than no, it's the, the university. It's the school. Okay, it's the school. Yeah, the, yeah, I'll definitely find that now. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Not unless so, you have anything else you want to ask. Kind of short and sweet and to the point. So I like yeah. it. I appreciate you coming to do this because some bet. of this stuff, like uh, you and I, particularly on the Jamal Khashoggi deal, had kind of run sideways before. Uh, so I'm glad we got in here and kind of like hashed out what really who meant what and when and mm. we got the the three four w's and the h and <laughs> we got it all covered yeah, right uh you can find dave on facebook if you want to go talk to dave i am on twitter too but i hardly ever go there <laughs> man twitter is where it's at um pretty mm -hmm. much, i get 90 percent of my news stuff from twitter, twitter. anymore yeah. yeah like it's just succinct and to the point and yeah i've used it now since like 2011 yeah. So I'm stuck. Yeah, I've never done I've never done TikTok, never done Instagram. No, yeah, there will be no TikTok on Instagram or on the Pick Four podcast here. Yeah. yeah well, it took me forever just to get to Facebook. I didn't start you know, and I say I I left the AJ in February of eighteen and I didn't start it on Facebook until maybe like a year before that. So you're a new guy. <laughs> yeah. What's your what's your overall opinion of it? Of Facebook? Yeah. It's kind of fun, you just, know, as long as you don't take it too serious. Yeah, that's the problem I've run into is. Some of the comment likes this little beard, the beard stuff, you know, it's just. Yeah, I, I, I tend to uh, point out ignorance when I find it, and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it starts yeah. fights, so. But it's a good way to keep track of uh, friends and family and things like that. Yeah. Okay, again, I appreciate you coming to you do bet. this. Hey, go to Pick 4 Podcast and click on some stuff, and uh, we'll catch you next time.